Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, June 20th. In case you missed it, President Biden was in our area heading into the three-day weekend. He came to the Gun Safety Summit in Connecticut and said the gun laws have got to change, partly because of what he's hearing more often these days from parents. I don't know how many times I met with people at events in the country who shake my hand and say, I'm worried. There's been another shooting not far from where I live. I'm scared to send my kid to school. President Biden in Connecticut on Friday. One front in the gun control battle has now opened in Congress, where Democrats announced last week a rare parliamentary maneuver to get some basic gun safety reforms to a floor vote, even if Speaker Kevin McCarthy is using the power he has to block them. We'll hear about that and more now from New York Congressman Pat Ryan, the Democrat representing District 18. That's a swing district in the Hudson Valley, Newburgh, Poughkeepsie, New Paltz, Kingston, Middletown, around there. Congressman Ryan is an Iraq war vet and was the founder of a tech company before being elected to Congress last year. So with another high-stakes election year right around the corner, president and everything else, we'll talk about guns and the first anniversary of the Dobbs decision on abortion rights and other issues that will be key to control of Congress and the White House in swing districts like his. Congressman Ryan, always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And let's start on those discharge petitions, as they're called, in the House on guns. I don't know if they're going anywhere, but what's the strategy on what specific measures? Well, they have to go somewhere because, as you said, this is our this is our duty as Americans, as members of Congress. We hear on the on the far right, especially from from Kevin McCarthy, all this talk, all this pandering about public safety, public safety, public safety. I mean, the number one killer of young people and kids in this country is guns. And yet they won't even bring to the floor a vote for, for an assault weapons ban, for common sense, bipartisan background checks, for uh, enhanced background checks that would have blocked what happened in Charleston and many other places across the country. So we are forcing the issue. We are making, frankly, uh, McCarthy and, and his MAGA allies do their job. And Hey, if you want to vote against this, I disagree with you strongly, but at least have the courage and the backbone to bring it to the floor of the House for a vote and show the American people where you stand. I've seen one Republican quoted already who supports these measures as policy, but saying he won't support getting them to a vote with this kind of end run around the speaker. So have you already lost on these? Do you have a head count that indicates anything other? Well, this is a long-term strategy here over the next year. We're unfortunately right now in the minority in the House. We've seen these extreme forces, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, hijack the Congress. They've paralyzed us for weeks. We could barely elect a speaker back, you know, going back to January. So when, when Congress isn't working, uh, particularly to keep kids safe, I've, I'm a dad. I've got an almost four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. There's no way I'm going to stand by and my colleagues and I are going to stand by and just let 
this sit and, and let there be no action. Uh, so we are building momentum. Uh, we think, I think, that if we continue and the American people continue to demand accountability, demand action from their members of Congress, we will see some folks step up. And we're going to continue to ratchet up this pressure. I met uh, a few days before we introduced the discharge petitions with a group of survivors, you know, kids and parents, including some of the Uvalde parents and Newtown parents and students. They had spent days sitting out, camping out on the hill, trying to push and demand and continuing to push. And across the country, we have groups like Moms Demand Action and others working to address and bring forward common sense gun safety measures. So we have to keep up the pressure. The three bills that I see as being focused on in this discharge petition effort are an assault weapons ban, H.R. 698, which prohibits the sale, transfer, manufacture, and importation of semi-automatic weapons and ammunition feeding devices capable of accepting more than 15 rounds. That's one bill. One called the Background Checks Act, H.R. 715, that requires every sale of a firearm to have a background check with exemptions only for family transfers and temporary hunting transfers. And then an Enhanced Background Checks Act, as it's called, H.R. 2403, uh, that marks the eight-year anniversary of the massacre at the AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, that brought awareness to what's called the Charleston loophole. You just mentioned that briefly a minute ago. Can you describe to our listeners what the Charleston loophole is? So basically, and and I, I mean, we have so many of these god-awful incidents that it's easy to forget one of the so many uh, from eight years ago in Charleston, but this is where an individual went into a, a church, deliberately targeted the church, knowing it, it had uh, almost exclusively black congregates, and spent several days sitting with the congregates only on the third day to walk into a meeting in the basement of the church in the middle of prayer and kill them all save one who he told that he spared their life so that they could tell the story. And what happened from a policy perspective is there had been a rule that if for some reason a background check wasn't completed in three days, well then we'll just give the gun to whoever, which is outrageous. And uh, so this would add an additional seven days going from three to ten days so that we can complete a background check before transferring a, a firearm to, to a purchaser. So, And again, these are broadly supported by the American people. Universal background checks, about 90% of Americans support that. The assault weapons ban, 65% of Americans support that. This is something very personal to me. I served 27 months in combat. I've carried these assault weapons. I've seen the rate of fire, the velocity of fire. I've unfortunately, tragically seen what these high-velocity rounds do to human bodies and human flesh. And I, I can't imagine what these scenes look like in schools, in Uvalde, in Newtown, in so many other places. And we can't turn away. We can't put our head in the sand. This is something that we can absolutely prevent, and we have to take action. Is Gun control even a winning issue for you in your district? I think you have your fair share of gun owners and gun rights people and many of your Hudson Valley towns. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is an issue that across the board people want action on. Uh, and, and I think it's important. Um, this is gun safety. This is saying that 
again, I, I know these weapons. I've, I've, I've carried them. I've used them responsibly. There's lots of responsible uh, folks out there that, that own weapons. But we have to draw lines. And weapons of war don't belong on our streets. And I think that is something we can all agree on, regardless of, of where, where you are and where you live. I, uh, I was in the fifth closest house race in the country out of 435. And I was loudly, strongly, unequivocally calling for an assault weapons ban, for universal background checks, for red flag laws to keep hands, our guns out of the hands of those with mental health issues, for safe storage laws. These are all things that the American people support, people in my district support. I mean, you're talking about uh, uh, teachers and, and a future guest. My mom is a retired first and second grade teacher. One of the very first wake-up calls for me on this issue was speaking with her about putting her first grade students into closets for these for these uh, active shooter drills and how uh, excruciating and heartbreaking that was for her and scary for the kids. And we wonder why the kids are growing up with so much anxiety compared to previous generations. Um, we heard the clip of the president visiting east of your district in Connecticut last week, of course, because of the Newtown school shooting, which in a certain respect, though it was hardly the first shooting, in a school, uh, maybe because it was first graders or for other reasons, um, seemed to have marked the beginning of the modern era in the gun control debate. And the NRA basically resisted at that time when a lot of people thought things were going to get through, but they resisted successfully in Congress. And we've kind of been in a stalemate except for one bill that got through last year ever since. So it's more than a decade now. And more parents are expressing concerns about school shootings and the potential for other mass shootings. There seems to be a mass shooting in the news uh, about every other day now. Um, it actually seems that way. But conservatives say we've always had the assault weapons, or at least for decades, we've had these same assault weapons. What's changed is not the guns, but mental health. So look at the real changing variable and focus on that, not guns. A response to that? I think that's just patently dishonest and, and uh, inaccurate. Certainly, we have, we have this toxic cocktail. We have growing mental health issues. We have unequivocally, factually, more guns and more assault weapons on our streets than we ever have. So that, has, that variable has changed, by the way. And then thirdly, we have this growing, uh, really violent extremist and hateful rhetoric and language spreading on social media and, and even in the, you know, in our, our real physical lives. And those all, all those forces come together and escalate to a situation where, to your point, we have had more mass shootings in the United States of America in 2023 than there have been days in the year. So many that it's near impossible to keep, even keep track. And, and it's easy to become cold to it. But to think that removing the literal physical weapons that, that are designed, by the way, the AR-15 in particular, was originally designed for use in the Vietnam War, to fire up to 30-round magazines, to fire at high velocities, um, and, so, and, and by the way, to fire uh, high-velocity 5.56-millimeter rounds that do something called tumbling, so that when they enter the human body, they're literally designed to shred and bounce around and rip up human flesh and organs. So to, to say that 
we could take some of those weapons out of the hands of those who certainly are struggling with mental health and that that wouldn't help the situation is just such a cop-out and such cowardice and so pathetic, in my opinion. And it's because they are beholden to and afraid of the NRA and the gun lobby and these extremist forces that don't want to keep our kids safe. There's a little breaking news just in the last hour, two items shortly before we went on that I'm going to pass along to you folks right now that might have presidential election implications for next year. One, the judge in the Trump classified documents case has set a trial date for August. So that would come up very quickly. Uh, I think it's the 14th, although the commentary I'm seeing is that it's probably not actually going to happen then because the Trump team, which has incentive to delay the actual trial, uh, has a lot of motions it can file. But there is at least a preliminary on the books trial date now for Trump in the classified documents case. And it's coming up in less than two months. Also, a plea deal was announced just before we went on involving Hunter Biden that closes, apparently, the Justice Department's investigation of the president's son. I'm going to read you the full one-paragraph statement from Hunter Biden's attorney, Christopher Clark. I'm getting this from CNN's website. It says, with the announcement of two agreements between my client, Hunter Biden, and the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Delaware, it is my understanding that the five-year investigation into Hunter is resolved. Hunter will take responsibility for two instances of misdemeanor failure to file tax payments when due, pursuant to a plea agreement. A firearm charge, which will be subject to a pretrial diversion agreement and will not be the subject of the plea agreement, will also be filed by the government. I know Hunter believes it is important to take responsibility for these mistakes he made during a period of turmoil and addiction in his life. He looks forward to continuing his recovery and moving forward. So again, that's the text of a statement from the lawyer for Hunter Biden. But with this plea deal on misdemeanor tax charges, or that's what he's playing guilty to, is a misdemeanor, and the resolution of the gun charge as well. The Justice Department's investigation into the president's son is now apparently closed. Uh, Congressman Ryan, you're probably hearing this for the first time, at least some of it, as I'm reading right now, because it broke just before we go on. And I don't expect you to be um, an expert on the investigations of uh, Hunter Biden or anything else. But do you have any first impression about whether this forecloses all this um, non-evidence line of attack uh, or many of the, let's say, attacks without any evidence that have been leveled? We haven't even brought them up on the show because they've been so groundless in terms of any kind of evidence so far uh, regarding President Biden and any family business matters having to do with Hunter Biden. Yeah, I hadn't heard it, uh, but yeah, I think, look, he's taking responsibility. Uh, we're letting the justice system work, and I think those are values that, especially to your point, in the United States of America right now that are under tremendous pressure and stress from others that are not doing that. So I think it's important across the board that that those principles, a commitment, an ironclad commitment to the rule of law, uh, is is essential, and it seems that, that that's what happened there. I mean, the other thing I'll just say is that, you know, I have very young kids, 
but you know, I think I worry about uh, as a dad um, be, being in office, what that can do uh, in terms of bringing their personal lives into the public sphere. So I think that that's something that I'm sure is really hard for the family, and uh, I, you know, I I feel for them in, in that dimension. And do you have any perspective on the classified documents case that comes from your time serving in the Iraq War? Uh, we know that some of what the special counsel laid out against Trump had to do with him um, showing somebody who was a reporter uh, a document and saying, this is highly classified. I didn't declassify it as president, so it's still highly classified. And it had to do with U.S. war plans, um, potentially, with regard to Iran, according to the text of the indictment. I, I wonder how you reacted to that as an Iraq war vet who has actually fought in America's wars. Yeah, and as someone who had a top secret clearance, I was an uh, Army intelligence officer, so you know had to deal with and, and took very seriously my responsibility to deal with this information. And I, I've said very publicly from the beginning, if I or any of my colleagues that have these clearances, uh, whether in the intel community or, or the military, if I had done what he has already admitted to doing, I would be in jail, period. And there can be, there should only be, to our previous comment, one standard in our justice system, and no one should be above the law. So let's let this case play out. But I, I think it's one of the most dangerous things to happen in our republic when you have someone uh, flouting the, the rules with such sensitive, to my understanding, nuclear uh, intelligence about ourselves and allies, One of the, some of the most sensitive classified information. One small detail here that I think is important there are all these different, they're called caveats, uh, sort of compartmentalized classifications of information. Some of this information was so secret that the government, in releasing the documents, had to even redact the name of the caveat, which I know is maybe hard to follow, <laughs> but essentially the information is so secret that they don't even want to uh, share the, it's usually a few letters, uh, uh, the, the sort of compartment of classification. That is highly unusual and speaks to how sensitive this information was. Chris in Manhattan. You're on WNYC with Congressman Pat Ryan. Hi, Chris. Good morning, Brian and Congressman. I just had a quick question. I mean, it's not really quick. It's kind of complex. But coming from a tech background as a tech founder, um, I'm a little bit south of you in the, in the, in the district, but I've seen a, a huge shift. Technology plays an enormous role in all the things we're talking about, both influencing and honestly profiteering from all of this stuff. And as, as somebody who spent time in tech when it was a service industry instead of a speculative profiteering industry, I'm sure you remember that shift. And as somebody who's out in the burbs, we know that's where all the new tax and housing purchases, it's all coming from this kind of income inequality, political inequality. I, I just was wondering, maybe you have an insight. I, um, I, I feel hopeless these days. <laughs> Chris, thank you. What kind of tech company did you found again, Congressman Ryan? So we founded a company, um, two, two vets and I, to try to get better software to our troops in harm's way around the world. Um, so we were really focusing on kind of data analytics and things like that, uh, less consumer-oriented things, which I think is what uh, the caller, Chris, is, is talking about. 
but he is talking about the tech sector uh, being involved in gun technology and profiteering off that. Any comment? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, Chris. I, I think that, um, you know, some of the most profitable companies now in the world are these technology companies, and yet they've been able to largely uh, evade and and often buy their way with, with lobbying dollars out of common sense regulations to keep people safe, particularly, I'm very worried about our kids and what this sort of we talked about the gun violence issue and this toxic cocktail of disinformation, misinformation, hate, anger. I mean, we know so much more now. It's been become public from some whistleblowers of their algorithms literally incentivizing and rewarding uh, anger and, and fear and all these uh, dangerous emotions. And those algorithms are then tied to the dollars and the profits, to the caller's point. So there is a push, a bipartisan push, to try to um, at least begin to put in place some reasonable reasonable uh, regulations. And we've seen uh, Europe head in this direction on consumer tech, data privacy, and also now they're heading this direction on AI, by the way. Last week, uh, the EU put in place uh, some pretty important legislation to put some guardrails around AI. This is something I've also been focusing on here, uh, where there's essentially it's Wild West right now, uh, no uh, over, limited oversight, no regulation. So that's another area we're looking at. Uh, but absolutely, this is feeding the gun violence epidemic, and it's also causing so many other issues and problems for, for everyone, especially our young people. Congressman Pat Ryan, thanks for talking through so many issues with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.